Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. It's a delight to have you here in person or online. Uh, thank you for being here. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the midst of a summer sermon series on wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And as we've quoted to you before, Old Testament scholar Gerhard von Rad says that wisdom is competency with regards to the realities of life. So how things really are and how we can align ourselves to those realities or not. And last week, Brent taught us many things about wise speech versus foolish speech, including that there's a connection between anger and foolish speech. If you're here, you remember that he used this illustration of a shaken soda bottle. So that once a plastic bottle of soda gets shaken up and then the lid gets twisted just a little bit, what happens? Instantly... Immediately, all of the soda spews out uncontrollably and indiscriminately upon everything. And that's like the fool in his or her anger with their words. If they're shaken, they will spew out their words. And this happened to me on an airplane just two days before Brent used that illustration. It did and it didn't happen to me. I was flying home to Austin and there were two rather rambunctious little boys in the row ahead of me, which was fine. They were loud, they were fighting constantly over Skittles, and their dad was checked out watching a movie with noise-canceling headphones. He should have been handing noise-canceling headphones out to everyone else, but that was fine. I've been there. We've got three boys. It was fine. But then, through the crack in the seats, I noticed the, the Coke bottle, and I noticed that they were fighting over it, just like they had been fighting over their Skittles, and I knew that their dad should have been giving them Benadryl and not sugar, but I also... I could see where this was going, and sure enough, at some point, down goes the soda bottle, and immediately I felt it. In fact, I heard it first, this hissing noise, but then I felt it all over my legs, all over my feet, all over my bag, all over my Jordans, all over everything, Coke spewing everywhere like an angry fool with his words, and so I had a decision to make. Was I now going to be the fool with my words? Maybe, just maybe. But I waited to see if the dad would say anything to me and to others as I wiped off my leg. And then when it landed, he didn't say anything. When we landed, Alyssa texted me and I told her what had happened. And I told her that I was probably going to educate this young father on airplane etiquette for little boys. And, and she said, she texted me, no, you're not. No, you're not. Let it go. Show grace. 
you don't need any more sermon illustrations like that. And I text her back, like what? And she said, don't make a scene. And then I said, as if I've ever made a scene in public. And then she just texts back the eye rolling emoji. And then I said, well, I've only made a scene in public when I'm right. And she didn't say anything else. And so I didn't, I let it go. And why? Why did I let it go? Because as we just read, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. In order to be wise, we need true friendship. And so what is friendship? And how's it done? And why is it key? Those are our three questions this morning. First of all, what is friendship? Friendship is hard to define. Uh, We know when we have it. We know when we experience the joy of friendship. We also know the pain of not having friendship, but what it is is a little more nebulous. So look at the second proverb in our list of the various proverbs that I've printed for you here. Chapter 18, verse 24, it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And this verse does several things for us. First of all, it contrasts companions, plural, with a friend, singular. So there is a numerical contrast here. And we we know this, we experience this in life, that Friends are few while companions abound, and companions abound out of necessity and obligation. So we have coworkers that we have to interact with on a daily basis to do our job, and then we have neighbors that we have to interact with because we live near to them. And then we have family members who we may not like, but we love them. How many of you have family members that you don't know? Don't do that. But, <laughs> but we have to interact with them. So whether it's co-workers or classmates or neighbors or family members, we have many, and we can't not have many unless we're going to live lives as recluses, but we're not necessarily friends with them. Hopefully so, maybe so, but not necessarily so, because friendship is more rare and limited. And also, this verse differentiates between friendship and family. In fact, the very first verse in our list also does the same. Chapter 17, verse 7 says, a friend loves at all time but a brother is born for adversity. And now that's not saying that a brother or sister creates adversity in your life. That may be true. How many of you have a sibling that creates adversity? No, don't raise your hands again. I'm kidding. But we think that for years and years, I read that and that's what I thought, but we have to realize and and not assume a negative reading of this verse, because remember the society and the culture in which this verse was written had a far higher view and value of family than we do in our very individualistic society. And so we have to read this verse in a way that's consistent with their values and their views. And so this verse is saying that family will especially be there when adversity happens. Regardless of if there's been conflict or discord, or there's now a distance with you in your family between family members, when adversity happens all too often, what it does is it closes, adversity closes the gap in family members between those who are separate. We didn't choose our family, but we can't not have an emotional connection to them and care for them even after conflict. So in adversity, family will generally care for us and we for them, even if we don't necessarily like each other all that much. But a friend is different. A friend loves at all times, in the bad times, but as well as in the good times, in in the daily events of life, in the ordinary, in the mundane, and in the highest highs and also in the lowest lows. 
So a friend will be there when family is also there, especially in times of adversity. But a friend will be there when family is not there because a friend has chosen you or you have chosen them. You see this word sticks that was read just a moment ago in the second of our Proverbs in chapter 18, verse 24. Other translations use the word cleave, which is a fascinating word to me, at least in English, it's a fascinating word. It's actually the same word that's, using, that's used in Genesis 2 to speak about marriage as well. And it's fascinating to me because it has two opposite senses. Same word, two different meanings. What is a meat cleaver? A meat cleaver is a, is a really big, heavy, wide knife that chops as much as it cuts. It can break bones. So to cleave can mean to cut deeply and powerfully. But cleave, as here, can also mean to, to stick close, to remain connected, to remain joined. And the former sense informs us about that latter sense. In other words, the cutting sense of the word tells us what type of sticking it is. And it's a deep, pervasive type of sticking. It's not a surface level joining together, but one that goes all the way to the very deepest and most personal and important parts of us. That's friendship. A friendship knows a friendship has shared in and you with them and they with you and that which is most personal and important and you're most passionate about and and they stick to you in the midst of all that because a friend loves at all times. A friend loves what you love. C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you're shocked that I'm mentioning him here. He has, in my opinion, the most definitive essay on friendship. It's actually in a book called The Four Loves. There's several different essays there. In this book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis describes four different types of love using four different Greek words, storge, philia, eros, and agape, or other words, affection, like family affection, friendship, romantic love, divine love. So go and read his chapter on friendship. Amen. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. But not really, because everything that I'm going to say here, he's going to say far better. But what he does is he differentiates between friendship and romantic love and family love and then companionship, or what he calls clubbableness, which is a word he had to have made up, clubbableness. It's just people who do the same work or engage in the same activities in the same place, like golf at a country club or like CrossFit at a gym or lawyers at the same firm or mothers, parents, but especially mothers, who, who take their children to the same playground, who kids go to the same school. They, they form bonds, but Lewis says that that can just be companionship. We speak about folks like this as our friends, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're just people doing the same thing in the same place that we're doing it. But then he goes on and says they're connected because friendship arises out of companionship. Listen to what he says. He says, friendship arises out of companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common the same insight or interest or even taste, which the others do not share, and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And instantly, they stand together in an immense solitude. And I love that line. And instantly, they stand together in an immense solitude. It may be a common religion, common studies, a common profession. 
even a common recreation. All who share it will be our companions, but one or two or three will share something more. They will be our friends. Do you hear what he said? They will share something more because friends have opened themselves up to one another. I mean, because they want to, they choose to. They, they choose to share something important between them, but then they move beyond that and share their very selves. They reveal everything about themselves, what's most personal and important, all that's good, broken, bad, everything. And then what they've revealed is then received by all, by, by those friends. And, and what they've revealed, they still delight in them. They still cherish that person. They still help support that person. So they move beyond that something that started the relationship, whether it be music or pickleball or golf or whatever it is, and they share themselves and they stick. So do you have friends or do you just have companions? Because most people, I fear, in this modern world just have companions and not friends. So what about you? That is friendship. But we also need to learn how to do friendship. So this is point two. Because according to Proverbs, fools perish because of a lack of friends or because of poorly chosen friends. I told you several weeks ago when I preached that there's a difference in the book of Proverbs between friends and the crowd. In, in Proverbs, there's, there's a type of fool that's called the simple these are people who especially are, are, are carried along and swept along and swept away by other people around them. And we, modern people, especially need to heed the warnings about those that are around us and how they can sweep us along and sweep us away. Because we modern people, we think especially that the person we become is the person that we individually choose to be, that, that we are fully independent and fully capable of learning and discerning and choosing for ourselves and by ourselves what is true and what is good and what is right and what is beautiful, regardless of what the people around us may be doing. And it's just not true. It is, it is just a myth of modernity among so much else. Because when we're very young, the very early stages of our life, it's our family that especially forms who it is that we're becoming. And then at some point, especially in this modern world, friends take over or the crowd takes over. And it's they who especially shape and form us even more so than ourselves. Listen to me here. Your closest community shapes you, period, full stop. Your closest community shapes you more than you shape yourself usually. For example, I ate lunch last week with Jim Pachta. He's become a dear friend recently. He's a Christian man, a counselor in Dallas. He's a leader in our denomination. He's, he's married to a woman. He has three sons, but he's also same-sex attracted. And he, his essay, his story was published as an essay in the Gospel Coalition. You should go and read it. It's called, I Couldn't Live the Lie of My Sexuality. He was speaking at our denomination's General Assembly last week. He and I had lunch, and he told me these stats. He said, in his research, he's found that millennials are two times as likely to identify as LGBTQ than Gen X. So 10% compared to just 4%. And then Gen Z, the younger generation, is twice as likely as millennials to identify as such. As many as 21% of Generation Z, which, by the way, has doubled over the past four years, going from 10% in 2017 to 21% in 2021. And the growth in those two 
demographics has led the overall population of those who identify as LGBTQ to go from 3.5% to 7%, 7.1 in just the last 10 years, which is a massive increase. Annie said the greatest increase or change is with middle school girls becoming or identifying as transgender, middle school girls. And that now those who identify as transgender among middle school girls is 70 times the percentage as the general population. 70 times, just staggering. Leading many experts to describe this phenomenon as rapid onset gender dysphoria. My friend Jim, he describes it as a social contagion. And the point is, is that individual sexual desires that are supposedly behind all of these statistics, they're not primarily individual desires that are leading them. That's that's not behind the massive sea change in our sexual morality. People are caught up. They are caught up in something far more and far greater, far bigger than themselves. It's cultural. It's social. Not exclusively, but definitely so. It's, It's a phenomenon. It's a fad for some. They're not individuals choosing individually. The crowd, their community, their companions, their friends are shaping them far more than anyone realizes or is willing to admit. So let me say it again. Your closest community shapes you more so than you shape yourself usually. And so we need good, wise, patient, godly, true friends. We need them. And here's what a true friend does. Four different things. Four markers from Proverbs uh, of friendship. This is according to Derek Kidner in his Proverbs commentary. He says, friends have constancy, candor, counsel, and tact. Constancy, candor, counsel, tact. I've already talked about constancy. A friend loves at all times. Tact is related. And by tact, kidner means a respect for another's feelings because you're emotionally connected to that person. And I've printed several tact proverbs for you here in our reading. 25.17 says, let your foot seldom be in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Now that sounds extreme, but we know what he's talking about. Because this is about a person who is so emotionally oblivious to others that they show up without any concern for other people and they just do what they want and what they need. It's, it's emotional selfishness. And 2714 is the same. It's talking about someone showing up at the wrong time and the doing the wrong thing. And again, it's emotional selfishness. The same is also true for 26 verses 18 through 19 which talks about deceiving or tricking someone or making fun of them and saying, oh, I was just kidding. I was just just kidding about that. A true friend never does that because they're emotionally connected to you. Look at 25 verse 20, which says, whoever sings to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. And the point here, similar to the other ones, is about doing something that's completely inappropriate. You don't sing cheerful songs to someone who is hurting. Not if you're emotionally connected to them. Not if you truly care for them. It's true also in parenting. It's true also in marriage. Pretty much everything I'm saying here could be applied to both of those, but that's an entirely different sermon. But you remember the maxim that I've shared with you before that you're only as happy as your saddest child? Remember that? It's true. And why? Because parents have tact for their children. They can't not be emotionally connected to their child. 
And the same is true between friends. If your friend is hurting, you hurt with them because there's been a mutual revelation of yourselves and a mutual reception of everything that's most personal and important. We've shared ourselves. Therefore, there's an emotional understanding and bond. There is tact. But in tension with tact, according to Kidner and Proverbs, there's also candor. A true friend will tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear. You see chapter 27, verse six there, the proverb I began with, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful or profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful wounds are painful words. Because you can see here it's set in parallel in, in, um, with the phrase open rebuke. So open rebuke in verse five is set in parallel with wounds of a friend. It's talking about correcting a friend and telling them that they are wrong about whatever is going on, that that is wrong, that is not right, that is not good for you, that is not the way that you were created to be, you need to stop, you need to change, you need to get help, you need to listen, that is candor. And listen to me here, only people who love you more than they love themselves will tell you things like that. Only people who love you more than they love themselves. Those that think or that say, oh, I could, I could never say anything like that to that person. I could never go through that with that person. They don't love you. They, they do not love you more than they love themselves. Really, they love themselves. Their silence is called hidden love in chapter 27 here, verse five. And it's in parallel to the kisses of an enemy. And this is the point. Kisses are profuse in this life. Kisses are profuse. Most people will just tell you what feels good. Most people will just tell you what you want to hear. They will tell you what is only affirming and endorsing and an encouraging of whatever it is that you say, whatever it is that you come up with, your next good idea, or this next truth that you said that you've, you've, you've discovered for yourself. They'll only tell you what you want to hear. That's not love. It is not friendship. It is not faithfulness. It's selfishness. A true friend lives out chapter 24, verse 11, which says, when they see you being taken away toward death and stumbling, they will hold you back. Do you have people in your life who hold you back? Do you have friends? Do you have friends with candor? Are you a friend with candor? Are you faithful to your friends? Or do you just flatter them? You see our last proverb, 29.5, speaks about flattering. It says that it's, it's just like spreading a net before people. In other words, you're, if, if you just flatter your, the people that you're around, you set them up for failure. You set them up for harm because you're allowing them to make decisions in their life when they're completely disconnected from reality. A true friend reconnects people with reality. And finally, a friend offers true counsel. It's the fourth marker. And it's a balance, it's a tension. Because the Hebrew word for counsel is also the Hebrew word for secret. So counsel is confiding in one another. It's, it's sharing. Again, it's revealing all and receiving all. 27.9 says it'll make the heart glad. It'll be sweet. So it will affirm, it will encourage, it will reassure at times. But then 27.17 says it will also sharpen, like iron hitting iron. There'll be clash, there'll be challenge, there'll be sparks. It's only counsel and it's only friendship if it's both, there's both tact and candor. So do you have friends? Do you have friends? 
or just flatterers or just the crowd around you. Because without friends, you can never know the life that you were created to have. Without friends, you cannot know it. And here's why. And here's where I close. Why friendship is key, very quickly. Because friendship, according to our gospel reading, is part of what it means for God to be God. And I should have printed a few more verses for you here where our gospel reading begins at verse 12. I should have began it at verse nine because in verse nine, Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so also have I loved you. And it's the love between God the father and God the son that is the context for this entire verse and everything that Jesus says here, everything that Jesus speaks about as love and the way that he describes love is he uses friendship. It's friendship that's, that's mentioned in connection with his relationship with God the Father. And notice that what originates between God the Father and God the Son in verses 9 through 10, it's then extended out between Jesus and those who follow him. But then it doesn't stop there. And it reverberates out even further from God, between God the Father and Jesus, between those who follow Jesus, and then between everyone who follows Jesus. One another, that phrase is used twice. And this is the point. The point is it's the same love all the way down, all the way down. It begins between God the Father and God the Son, this bond of love that it's so real that theologians throughout history have said that it is the Holy Spirit, that it is a person, that the Holy Spirit is the bond of love between God the Father and God the Son, and that bond is like friendship, even in God. And so friendship is foundational to all of reality. You were created as you are like God, by God, in order to share in a friendship with him, in order to align yourself and partake of reality, to be a friend with him and others. And the point is, God loves you like a friend. The God of all creation loves you like a friend. So everything that I've, I've said, everything, all the Proverbs that I've printed for you here, that is most especially true of you or of God with you because a, a friend loves at all times. God loves at all times. He loves you at all times. His love does not change for you. It doesn't wax. It doesn't wane. It'll go up, go down based upon what you've done or what you have not done. In verse 18, 24, there is, chapter 18, 24, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And who is that ultimately? The very same one who ultimately answered the call of chapter 24, 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death and hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. That's us. That is the whole world. A whole world in our sin and our brokenness and our foolishness, stumbling to the slaughter of death in all its form. But Jesus came. He came in order to hold us back. He didn't keep his love hidden in open rebuke of all that's wrong with us and all that's wrong with the world, he came as the ultimate friend to say no. To first of all say no, that that's not life. That that's not reality. That that's not the way that you were created to be. That's not what human flourishing looks like. Not at all. He held us back. Think about all of the times throughout the gospels where Jesus has to go and first of all say no. Like to the woman at the well. You remember that story in the beginning of the gospel of John? Jesus says, go get your husband. She didn't have a husband. And he tells her, you don't have a husband. The man that you're living with right now is not your husband. And then to Simon the Pharisee, you remember what he said? He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. He who has been forgiven little loves little. And he says, you love little, Simon, because you think that you don't need much forgiveness, and you do. 
And then the apostle Peter, the very end of the gospel of John, three different times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because he had betrayed him three different times. And then to the apostle Paul, before he was the apostle Paul, when he was still Saul, on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? All faithful wounds, faithful wounds that he then took fully and completely on himself at the cross to bear all of their consequences for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might be changed, that we might become wise, that we might become friends with him and with one another. So if you are a Christian, if you belong to Jesus through baptism and by faith, you have the ultimate and greatest friend that you need. You are not alone in this world. You're not alone. You have everything that we read of here, everything. You have the greatest and ultimate friend. So go and be for others what you already have in and with Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray, as we always pray, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we might know you in and through your word, and that we might know you in and through all of that which you give us, even as we gather around your table this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.